All right, Apple has returned $680 billion to shareholders in the last decade. That's one of the reasons Warren Buffett is a huge fan of the stock and loves to buy the company. Also, incidentally, Apple over the last decade has grown their revenue by $270 billion. Interesting fact, Google's top line revenue for the last fiscal year is $270 billion. So that means Apple over the last decade has grown essentially the size of Google inside of itself. It's an absolute, absolute monster. So we're going to take apart this company. We're going to dive into the cash flow club. I'll show you what one of our analysts has uncovered. We're going to take a deep dive into this stock. You ready? Let's get to work. Hello, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you for watching the channel. I greatly appreciate all the comments and subscribers. If you like the content, hit the subscribe button. It always helps me out. All right, let's dive into Apple. We're going to review Apple with the five key factors that we do with all of our stocks as the foundation for what stocks we should consider going forward to do more due diligence. Top five factors are as follows. Number one, top line revenue growth. You got to have that. Number two, EBITDA growth. We look at enterprise level earnings must be growing. Number three, strong free cash flow, obviously. Number four, low debt, especially in this market with rising interest rates, we want low debt. And number five, you want a well-priced stock. What is a well-priced stock? That's pretty subjective. It's basically a conservative forecast that over a decade will beat the market. That is what we're trying to achieve. You want to buy stocks with a high probability of outperforming the market. That's kind of the underlying facts or thesis around beating the stock market. And that's what we try to do with a simple guess at the future, even though it's completely unknown. Let's dive into the cash flow club and see what Thomas, one of our analysts, has uncovered. A uh, quick write-up here on Apple itself, talking about Buffett and how much stock he has purchased. What I wanted to pull up is this interesting chart here with Apple and its free cash flow and the returned cash. You can see here that the, the blue is the free cash flow that they're draining, the operating cash flow minus CapEx. They have very little debt, so there's not too much debt that needs to go out. But basically, you've got a pile of jack at the end of the year, which has been uh, reinvested for CapEx. You've paid uh, uh, debt if you need to. And it's like, what do you do with this cash? You can either dividend it, you can buy back shares, you can make acquisitions, or it can sit on the balance sheet. Those are the four things you can do with that free cash flow. And it's really what, in, what, what investors like you and I who buy cash flow underwrite the company's value on. And you can see here Apple has been in the in the orange or yellow, dividing out and rebuying shares with their free cash flow for an absolute long, long time. As I said, the opener they have um, they have dividended back or uh, repurchased stock to the tune of six hundred and eighty billion dollars over the last decade, and that uh, is probably going to continue. We also give you a breakdown of the total company's revenue here, uh, as well as uh, the geographic locations. So how much business do they do? In fact, in, in the Americas last year, they did one hundred and seventy billion dollars of top line revenue in in the Americas. Europe represented ninety five billion dollars. Uh, China was $74 billion of revenue, and then Japan is uh, $26 billion. I'll also give you some other notes around uh, corporate costs. So corporate costs were about $11 billion, oops, excuse me, $33 billion of total expenses for the, for the corporation. Let's dive into the one-pager. We'll kind of go through the revenue, earnings, debt, build the enterprise value, and see what kind of multiples this company trades at. I'll show you a secret about when Warren Buffett bought this stock and why he made so much money on that investment. Let's deep dive into the cash flow one-pager. For those that you that are new to the channel, a one-pager is simply a one-page summary that we produce at cashflowinvestingpro.com. 
on the stocks that we cover that summarizes 10 years of operations, a forecast of EBITDA, a forecast of free cash flow, and an IRR calculation. We also summarize the five key factors off the side so you can kind of quickly assess do they meet the criteria? The idea of the one pager is to take to collect them for the companies that you would love to own over time, put them off to the side of the shelf, and then look at them periodically and wait for the stock price to come to you. And when it does, sometimes stocks dip and then come back up, and you want to be able to have that knowledge base uh, readily available, so you can say, you know, hey, does this do I do I have a basis for buying the stock? Okay, let's go ahead and dive in. Otherwise, doing due diligence. Uh, when the stock is already down, sometimes takes so much time uh, that the stock might revert higher. So that's the idea of the uh, the one pager, simply to remind you of the kind of the best companies that you would really love to own. Uh, all right, let's take a look at the one pager. So revenue for Apple for 2023, excuse me, 2013 was 170 billion dollars, and that has grown. Uh, almost every year for the last decade to $394 billion last year with a nice pandemic boost. Uh, in 2019, they were at 260. In 2021, they were at 361. So that's a that's a hundred billion dollar increase in two years because of the pandemic. It's very interesting. It makes it going to be harder to forecast what they do from here with that kind of a lift. But nevertheless, it is growing. Average annual growth rate for Apple over this decade has been 10% on average. An absolute beast. Uh, EBITDA earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. Why do we use EBITDA? Is it perfect? Absolutely not. First lesson, there is no single um, metric or single line item that you can use to value a company and rely solely on. You want to use kind of a, a portfolio approach. Uh, and I try to pick a couple key ones that I use here in the channel to not get buried in some of the nuances of like the quick ratio or inventory turn ratios, which are interesting, uh, but in my opinion, don't drive the underlying value of the business. I use EBITDA because I get a lot of investment banking data and companies that are public report transaction multiples in EBITDA. They don't often report them on a on an, uh, price earnings ratio or a or price per free cash flow ratio or price per EBIT ratio. They generally say enterprise value to EBITDA. So we use that as a, a market gauge. It's, it's, it's a better comparison. Also, EBITDA adds back D and A, depreciation and amortization. If you recall in my last video with Facebook and with uh, Google, both of those companies reported lower earnings last year, but because they adjusted the depreciation life of their fixed assets, they were able to lower the DNA to boost earnings so they could show an actual increase in their year-over-year -year earnings, which in my book is manipulation, but who am I? So. The uh, using EBITDA at, gets rid of the um, management's assessment of the useful life of assets and just says, hey, look, give me the non-cash charges that you have and I can kind of assess a general operating income line for this business. And over time, it tends to, tends to work. Is it free cash flow? No. Is it perfect? No. But it's a, it's a metric that I use that I found to work uh, over time. So EBITDA last year was $55.6 billion for Apple. And that has grown on average at a 10% annual growth rate over the last decade to be the $130 billion that they earned last fiscal year in 2022. 
Uh, now that growth rate is just in line with revenue, so the margins over time have kind of paired the same, even though the margins recently have been slightly higher than, uh, than, than previously. Over a decade, it kind of smoothed out and you got a 10% 10% uh, growth in EBITDA. Debt has grown a little bit faster as they've leveraged up the company over time. Uh, debt has been 50, excuse me, 16 to 17 billion dollars in 2013, has grown to 132 billion dollars. But the debt's not really an issue because their excess cash is so monstrous, absolutely beastly. It has gone from 129 billion dollars of jack to $140 billion of jack in that time. And you'll notice that both these numbers always dwarf the debt. So this business is debt-free, it has zero net debt. What does that mean? Well, it means that you can buy the stock as an equity owner and have equity-like returns, but have a collateral position as a bondholder. Now, I'll back up for a second. Remember, we've talked about the capital stack. It's basically a pyramid. You've got your senior debt, your junior debt, your mezzanine, your preferred equity, and your equity. The tiny little slice is what you and I buy when we buy common stock equity. It's the last in line in a bankruptcy case. And there are a whole slew of people who the judge will pay long before they ever pay the equity holders. So you want to buy companies with as little debt as possible, ideally zero debt, because in that case, if Apple were to go bankrupt, not saying it's going to, but just, just follow me with the analogy. There are lots of other companies that meet this model. But what would happen is you'd pay off all the debt, you'd run into some structural issue, you could liquidate all of the assets and the value of the assets would go down the line on the collateral claim from like paying your, uh, your payroll is the very first claim, your employees, then it's like, uh, you know, your vendors, then it's your uh, capital leases, then it's the, um, you know, senior secured debt, like your mortgages and so forth. Then it's the junior guys, so like your junior rate, second secured debt. Then it's the mezzanine capital, then preferred, and then finally equity. Well, if all that's zero and all that's left between you and the assets, well, there's nothing between you and the assets, then that means you as the equity holder become the first claim on the assets. And that's a great position to be in. That's kind of why we want it's, it's to, a, it's a downside protection case. So anyways, Long story long, I apologize, let's move forward. Market cap, average shares, outstanding times price. I use the fiscal year at month. So if their year end month is December, uh, I use the average for December times the fully diluted shares outstanding. I like to use that. You can use weighted average, you can use end of period, but I would suggest using the fully diluted uh, shares because in some instances like uh, tech stocks or Tesla or other people who have con convertible debt, you've got debt in here that is going to convert into equity and you want to, or, or lots of options that they get employees. You want to assume that dilution has already happened to safeguard your position. That's why you use fully diluted uh, shares. You get a market cap. Market cap has grown from $447 billion to $2.5 trillion. I just want to say that again, $2.5 trillion, that is an awful lot of jack. Incidentally, I've been investing for a long, long time. I never in, in my life imagined we'd be talking about numbers in the, in the trillions of dollars. Um, you should read, by the way, incidentally, a book called uh, When Money Dies. It is about the, uh, the, the German uh, uh, dilution in, after World War I that happened to their currency. Very interesting to kind of watch how currency can be manipulated 
and inflation can take over and it becomes very hard to judge what value is because the price numbers are moving so quickly it's hard to assess. Side note, check that book out. Uh, $2.5 trillion market. I add the market cap plus the debt, less the cash. I get enterprise value. Enterprise value is the true value of a business. Uh, I'll just fast forward here. It's $2.5 trillion. We covered the net debt ratio, excuse me, the, the debt to EBITDA ratio is zero. They're debt free. Enterprise value to EBITDA. So here on the outset, I said I'd teach you a little trick. This is where it gets interesting. Uh, if you recall, I know I do uh, back seven or so years ago, the analysts out there, God bless them, were saying that the iPhone is dead and Apple has a real problem. So the multiple that Apple was trading at was in the single digits. If you can zoom in here for a second, let's just take a look at this. You could have purchased Apple, a beastly beaster son of cash flow, in 2015 for 6.5 times EBITDA. This business at that point in time was making $82 billion of profit on $230 billion of profit with, with a net positive cash position of, a, of $120 billion, an enterprise value of half a trillion. You could have bought that company for an absolute, absolute steal. Oh, who guess what? Guess who bought it? Yeah, Buffett did. Uh, because he is a long-term study of uh, you know market multiples. He calls it a he calls it a earnings yield. It's just the inverse of a multiple. It's the same principle. You just flip the multiple upside down, you get the yield. But he is looking at this saying, wait, this thing is yielding a tremendous amount of cash, yielding, if I look at 2015 free cash flow years, yielding 15% free cash flow at that time, which is ungodly. They've got high cash, you're in first secured position, they're growing revenue, and analysts think the iPhone is gonna die. Yeah, that never happened. So this, what happens? The company, fast forward, the company continues to monstrously grow revenue, which is unpredictable, you don't know that in the future. But what does happen is the market realizes their error, and the market multiple goes from six and a half times to a high of 25, an absolute monster. So what happens? You get the trifecta. You get Apple buying back shares, you get a market multiple expansion from six and a half times to 25 times, a 4X market multiple expansion and earnings growth, all of which compound to absolutely slay any other stock return, realistically, and a, a crushing investment for Warren Buffett. So good, good, good for him. We'll do the free cash flow section just so you get a feel for what the one page looks like. I'll do it quickly. Adjusted free cash flow, I am expensing the stock-based comp that is a non-cash charge. We treat it as a cash cost just to kind of um, uh, smell check how much cash, how much stock they're bearing for the employees. So $51 billion to $113 billion. Nice to see that this 9% growth rate on adjusted free cash flow is close to the 10% of EBITDA. What does that mean? That means your income statement and your cash flow statement are going the same direction, which is what you want to see. You want the accounting team to be expensing expenses properly and see it come through in the cash statement. They don't have to be both be positive, and they don't, but they have to go in the same general direction. You don't want opposites. That means someone is monkeying with the accounting and you want to run. Like to see that. Good job, accounting team. CapEx, CapEx is Apple reinvesting in this business, such as a la the, uh, the new VR headset that they just did. I'm sure they've got a giant uh, you know, capitalized investment there that they've been spending to, for the, to, to launch this product. 
And once they put it in service, they'll start amortizing that cost over time. But they put $10 billion in the business last fiscal year. And look, they made $113 billion. They made $113 billion. That's, 10, that's less than 10% of the cash that they make they have to put back in the business. It's an absolute joke how much money they make. So let me, Tim Cook generated $113 billion of jack last year. It's just sitting on his desk. He's like, what do I do with it? What does he do? Why? Takes takes 9% of it and gives it back to do VR, upgrade the, uh, the infrastructure, new buildings, paint jobs, all that stuff. And you have $100 billion on a company that has net zero debt. What happens to that debt? That, that, what happens to that cash flow? That cash flow goes to you and I, and that's what they're doing is they're buying back an absolute monster amount of stock. That's why Thomas, our analyst, correctly identified that Apple has given back $670 billion of, uh, of, of dividends and stock buybacks because they make $100 billion a year over a decade. It piles up. You got to do something with it. So if I look over here to share count, 26 million shares outstanding, as to 16 million shares I saying, that has come down 5% on average over uh, uh, annually over the last decade. That is tremendous. And that is a, a phenomenal way for your ownership in an amazing company to grow over time. Also in here, I got the free cash flow yield. I already pointed out earlier that Buffett bought this thing in this plus 10 to 15 percent free cash flow yield. That is the point in time that on this channel, we try to identify stocks that we think are very, very attractive. And in the cash flow club, for those of you that are members, uh, we have identified a number of stocks that meet that criteria. Please continue to look through that as the analysts publish, publish them. There's a lot of interesting opportunity out here as this market gets really dynamic. All right, enough of that. Let's forecast this business. So what, what, uh, what Thomas correctly does here, he says, hey, look, the margins of this business have grown slowly over time, even though it says revenue and, and EBITDA were, were roughly the same over 10 years. The last pandemic era margins have been much higher than uh, pre-pandemic. So he's normalizing margins a bit, which is going to cause EBITDA to drop next year. Kind of a safeguard, frankly. $129 billion EBITDA next year, and he grows that at roughly 6% annually. Remember, they've done 10% over the last decade. We're saying 6% now, kind of conservative. At a 15 times multiple, it's trading roughly at about 19 now. So you get market multiple compression to be conservative, and we got slower growth. So that's going to weigh on your stock price. We have a stock price of $180 out 10 years from now. If you do the same kind of math on your free cash flow, $6.19 grows to $9.49, so it's growing. EBITDA and cash flow are growing. The interesting thing is you pay a premium now, and if that premium comes down, it's gonna weigh on the price. Same thing for the market multiple. Your market multiple is five, excuse me, the, the yield. The yield is five and a half. Uh, the yield currently is lower than that, so over time, that's gonna weigh in the price, and you get $173. If I put this into a little IRR for you, you can buy the stock today at $180 a share. You own this stream of cash flow. You do not get it as a dividend. This is not a dividend. This is your pro rata ownership of a biz of the cash flow that the business generates. They can either a dividend it, in which case you get it. They can buy back shares, in which case this share count here will be less meaning the stock price will go up. So this number goes up. 
They can keep it on the balance sheet, which again, low, uh, increases the, the market cap because in our EV calculation, we're taking into account excess cash. Or they can go make an acquisition, which hopefully they do it wisely and it's accretive and so earnings go up faster than we think. So all four reasons uh, for what they can do with the excess cash are kind of accounted for in this theoretical model. Uh, Cash flow comes out, you bought the stock at roughly the same price that you can exit for, and that gives you basically a dividend yield of 4% because there's no price appreciation and you get the, the, the ownership cash flow over time. So I think for us, this is a very interesting stock. Let's review the five key factors. Number one, top line revenue growth, absolutely. Number two, earnings growth, EBITDA is growing. Number three, cash flow. Cash flow is absolutely beastly. Number four, low debt, debt is zero. Number five, well-priced. Is this stock well-priced? No, I don't think so. I think the market multiple is a little higher than I would love to, uh, that I would like, even though it continues to grow. I think the, 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 the thing to realize in investing, in my opinion, and from what I've read from people who are a lot smarter than me, investing is a game of exclusion. You look at the entire market and you start removing things you don't want to own, sectors you don't want to uh, own, management you don't like, margins you don't like, uh, growth rates you don't like, capital structures you don't like, um, all, all of those. And what you're left with are a few wonderful companies that you watch over a long, long period of time. And if those wonderful companies fall because analysts and the market got it wrong, that's when you can buy. Notice, notice by the way, the, the number of years here that Apple traded in single digits one, two, three, four, five years out of the last decade, you could have purchased Apple for single digit enterprise value EBITDA ratio. So just because it's cheap doesn't mean it's going to revert a higher very quickly. If you bought this stock back then, you would have had to wait potentially four years for even the beginning hope of getting a market multiple expansion. So this is 10 year, 20 year, 30 year investing. Do not fool yourself by buying stock and think you can flip in and out of it. That's a fool's game. We buy stock for a long, 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 long time. As such, you find the best companies that you want to own and you wait for the price to come to you. So under that scenario, I would say that Apple is a meh at this point. As I indicated in some of my other videos, I thought Facebook was a trifecta. The stock is up 170% since I reviewed it last. Amazon, I thought was a trifecta, is up 25%. Um, Ferguson, the plumbing company that Barron's called out. Thank you guys for the shout out. Um, they'd actually shout me out, but it would have been nice. Um, that's up another 20%. There, so there, there are companies that are amazingly well positioned. You just have to continuously search for them um, or, or put aside some of those stocks that you absolutely love and wait for them to come to you. All right. This is Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart. This is a deep dive into the analysis that Thomas did in the Cash Flow Club. Check it out. Do your own due diligence, right? This is just assumptions. We're just math here. But what, it, what we do is we lay out all the assumptions that are used to get to these prices and this math so you can judge it for yourself. If you think that the stock forecast is too conservative, then you might be a buyer of this stock. If you think that it's, it's, too, it's too healthy, then you're definitely not a buyer, but at least the assumptions are there. And you can do the math yourself. Speaking of doing the math yourself, if you like this kind of work 
and A, you would like to do it yourself, or B, you'd like to get access to this information, check out my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com. You can also sign up for my email list on the website as well. And in the description below, you can get a free one page. I'll send you one of these for free. It's on the McDonald's Corporation, very interesting case study in leverage. Check that one out. And if you want to learn to be an analyst, let's say you just do this naturally like I do, you obsess over stocks and just read 10 Ks for fun, check out my analyst course where I teach you what I've learned as a CFO for the last 20 years in corporate finance. I've done investment banking for about five years. I've taught lots of analysts and I built a three-hour course that'll walk you through the basics of reading 10 Ks, pulling down revenue, earnings, understanding share repurchases and splits, and teach you the basics on value investing. And I'll walk you through an Excel sheet that lays out, ironically, Apple, and what we think this value of the company should be. It lets you practice becoming a model builder and building Excel models for the companies that you own. And I highly recommend it. I think you should build a financial model for every single company that you want to invest in. It will slow your process down and it will give you kind of a, a something to look back on. If the investment doesn't pan out, you can say, hey, what, what was I thinking? What was the assumptions? And maybe learn from that. Much easier than just buying a, a, a price on the screen. All right, so this is Rational Investing. Hit the subscribe button if you like it. I uh, really appreciate it. Share it on social media. Uh, my name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you so much for the time. Bye-bye.